Hello and welcome to season four of the Another Startup Story podcast with Harmon. The aim of this podcast is to educate and inspire you through your entrepreneurial journey. As a new or well-seasoned entrepreneur, I'm really excited today um, that you've joined us because we'll be talking to inspiring individuals that share their insights and tips to improve aspects in your business and your personal life. The COVID pandemic has forced people around the world into months of quarantine, which has really fueled a catalyst of change in all facets of our lifestyles. It's really forced us to re-examine our behaviours, take charge of our health and find balance between our work and home life. Over the past five years or so, consumers have really been on the search to achieve wellness. Um, and this really comes to represent an aspirational lifestyle. And I'm talking kind of trendy fitness classes, vegan meal kits, um, organic skincare, athleisure, and generally healthy products. And so the commercialization of wellness is really rampant. Obviously, fast forward to March 2020, when COVID really sunk in. Uh, it's become clear that our wellness dollars aren't really leading to a permanent change. Um, And health is not just a trend or an aesthetic, but being in good health is about living life to the fullest. So today I'm really excited because our guest is within the wellness industry and we are really going to kind of talk about the misconstructed uh, definitions of health and wellness for vanity posts and consumer marketing. And so... I'm really excited to invite Tasha Colonist today, who is the founder of The Happy Hue. She's also a certified personal trainer, nutrition coach, and is currently an instructor at Barry's Bootcamp Singapore. And so, so her academic background was actually in philosophy, and she obviously has a huge passion for all things wellness, um, fitness, and health. And so she's really struck a unique combina- combination of physical thought, f- philosophical thought and well-being at The Happy Hue. So we'll be exploring different facets of what, what wellness means to individuals and how you can, you know, inject a bit of wellness within your life. So welcome to the podcast show, Tasha. Thanks for having me, Carmen. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Do you want to just tell our audience about what happened recently? I know. So recently I had a mini accident in class as I was teaching. I tripped and I dislocated my shoulder, which is super unfortunate. Um, but you know, I, I'm really looking at it as a new challenge, really embracing it, um, as a way to apply everything that I've spent time learning Mm. about the body and healing. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we've been hanging out a lot over COVID (laughs) before and during lockdown. And what's really fascinating is our love for books and learning more and, even though I'm not in the wellness industry. I mean, a lot of my clients are in the wellness industry, but I am not, I wouldn't say. But um, I've been reading so much on nutrition, and so have you, and tell us a bit more about how you've been using this downtime to really kind of like upskill and just learn new methodologies and everything, and what books you've been reading. So for sure, I uh, I mean, one thing, one background in, with me is that I am a huge advocate for Carol Dweck's growth mindset so it's the whole idea that we can continue to grow and continue to learn and continue to expand and that's also part of um, learning about neuroplasticity also Mm. where our brain is constantly evolving um, and it doesn't stop at a certain age but it's through our entire lifetime that we have this plasticity in our brain where we can continue to learn we can continue to adapt we can take so that old age um, thought that, you know, after a certain age, you mm. stop developing in your brain or you mature and then, mm. you, you know, there's no way you, you become a rigid person or something yeah. like that. You know, that's an old way of thinking and all the science now is saying that you can continually progress. And so I'm big about that. And um, after learning that fact, obviously, now I'm just in this train of learning. Mm. So having so much time during lockdown, um, I, I personally love to read different types of things. And actually, I hold that to my experience when I was in advertising before I was in, um, in the fitness industry or wellness industry. I was in advertising, and I remember the agency that I worked for, which was BBH, um, one of the, our founders saying was always, um, you know, you need to read and 
expose yourself to as many different things as possible because that gives you new insight and totally so I've always kind of held that and then through the learning of neuroplasticity I've kind of realized we have this enormous capacity to continue to learn and we have all this access to so much information now Mm. so it's really our opportunity to you know especially during lockdown something that you know would have never happened um, something like a pandemic gives us plenty of opportunity to really take advantage of that downtime yeah. um, to grow and upskill because um, we can honestly there's a limitless opportunity of uh, knowledge that we can tap into mm. there's always more things to learn there's always more skills to um, acquire yeah it's so interesting because I feel like definitely when you try and acquire a new skill like a lot of people have been learning to play new instruments over COVID and I think learning to acquire a new skill is very different to just throwing yourself deep into a book and just getting lost in the learning of that. I think, you know, it's kind of a very, I find it very meditative, but I think learning a new skill is a lot more, it requires a lot more discipline and it's hard, you know, and during this time, I don't think everyone needs to be lit upskilling so much and we need to, yeah, just to be a bit more chilled in a way and actually understand that it is a tough time. You don't have to become, you know, reinvent yourself and, make the most of this time but I think reading is a really just easy way to kind of get lost into a new field and learn more and you know I love I always love talking to you because I love learning about neuroplasticity as well and I think I actually um I was doing the Mosaic one day conference online I don't know if you did it as well I did it did you do it amazing it it was so good and the bit about so in the past everyone's talking about how gratitude has been scientifically proven to be the lubricant of the brain uh, you know it's no longer just like a oh it's just like a mind mindset wellness you know mindfulness thing just be be thankful but it actually is scientifically proven you know to actually be this lubricant of the brain so yeah learning more about uh, mental wellness is is definitely not even just for athletes but for everyone in everyday life right? yeah I mean and to go back to your point about you know skilling and upskilling, yeah, I, I mean, it's a very intense moment in the world right now, um, and do things for growth, but only if it, if it makes you feel better. You know, for me, it made me felt feel better to continue to expand. Whether it was a skill, because obviously I I'm in fitness and um, the wellness industry and. For me, fitness, learning that kind of skill, that kind of skill is like very tactile, it's very satisfying. What you were talking about, going into a meditative state when you're reading, it's the same thing that I feel when I'm in movement. Mm -hmm. So whether your skill is through reading or through movement, you know, I think there's just so much value in just doing something that increases your capacity or... um, upskill but it doesn't have to be intense Mm -hmm. it could just be learning to draw it could be learning totally you know learning to write or something I don't know you know there's the master classes that Mm. have been super popular not that I've done one but I've heard yeah I've heard that good as well um you know learning to cook like you know that's a skill right but that's a uh, definitely something that I did a lot during lockdown (laughs) as well yeah and I I mean I'm sure most people have taken up cooking Mm. now as well um, so yeah, I think you know there's a lot of value in in that. And to go back to your point on you know gratitude and uh, the mind, actually one of the biggest catalysts in my life um, was one book, really that really changed the tra- trajectory of my pursuit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called The Emotional Life of Your Brain. I've never read that. I forgot the author. I right think now. I've seen. I think I've just pictured. I'm a very visual person, so I picture the the book front cover. Yeah, I mean, I I say this a lot to a lot of people that that was really my point of turn, my turning point because that book is based on 30 years of research. Um, it just really opened my eyes, and I I, I don't want to share so much because I want people to read it and experience the book themselves, and I especially read it to the end it's you know it it's um obviously um not an easy read it has a lot of facts and research through it but i just found it really addictive to 
just couldn't put it down because it really opened my eyes to a whole new world of understanding our brain in a different way um, where it really matters the how we treat it, you know, like, mm. like mindfulness, gratitude. So obviously I'm also a big proponent of meditation um, and these little things that we used to not maybe really consider or integrate into our mm -hmm. um, lives or feeling that maybe it's a bit woo-woo or whatever it is, it's actually... Wait, it's the pause. <laughs> what, what's woo-woo to you? Woo-woo. <laughs> woo-woo is, um, you know, I guess, how do you describe woo-woo? Things that maybe people felt that is not real in the factual manner, not mm, knowledge-based. Um, like spiritual hippie. Yes, shit. exactly. <laughs> and things that maybe aren't, yeah, aren't justified with mm. facts. And I just want to highlight the reason why I got into meditation is because I read the research. I read this book and it revealed the research around meditation. And to me, that is the most, one of the most compelling um, reads, you know, because before I read this book, I didn't realize that there was actually scientific evidence on the value of meditation. And they, in this book, it's revealed that, you know, oh, I said that I didn't want to reveal so much, but I can't help it. Um, but yeah, really, it's, um, I, I, pr I prefer research-based um, mm -hmm. methods. So once I read that there's actually scientific evidence that it makes a difference in your life and in your brain and how you are on a day-to-day, -day, I immediately took up meditation, yeah. you know? Um, so, yeah, there's, I think, something to be said about all of that because at the end of the day, you know, our brain is the one thing that allows us to function. Yeah, to totally. I think, um, you know, I always say the mind, like I literally have it as my background um you know on my lock screen <laughs> and it says you know mindset is the basis that we work from when dealing with ourselves others and the world and your mindset is what really greatly influences the way in which you kind of act and portray yourself in the world but also to your point about how before people would think it's just spiritual woo-woo shit but actually there's you know real neuroscientists coming out like the likes of Tara Swart, Joe Dispenza who are massive just google them and they, they've got tons of books published and it's really proven and in joe dispenser's books you literally see he print screens like pictures of uh, brain scans for people who have meditated before and after and you see the difference in the in the scans it's crazy so yeah it's really interesting but you know for yourself you actually have a degree in philosophy um you know so how i guess that kind of the interest for you know, the mind and understanding all these different theologies has always really been there. How did you kind of make the leap to become uh, certified in the fitness realm? So for me, I've always been athletic. I've played sports throughout my life. I've always been very, very active. Um, I was in the you know, school team, all of that. And I've always kind of had this thought, in, even in high school, hmm, maybe I will end up in the fitness industry. I don't know. You know, just because out of pure passion of love of sports and love of movement. And then when I went to university in Los Angeles, which is obviously the mecca for fitness industry, um, it really opened my eyes to what was possible. And, you know, it's like the saying, you wouldn't know what you're capable of until you see it. Or, mm -hmm. you know, you can't imagine yourself doing something unless you see a model of it yourself. Um, I saw a model of it, obviously, in, in LA when I attended um, the various boutique studios, and I saw it, and I was like, oh, this could be a real career. But that was just a thought when I was still in school, and um, once I moved back to Singapore, I was in marketing, I was in advertising, um, doing different things. But what really made that switch was when I worked for a company called Guava Pass, which... Mm -hmm. um, was bought over by ClassPass, actually. So that opened my eyes to the world of fitness in Asia, and I realized that there's so much potential for growth in the industry. And then I realized, I'm, of course, I'm super passionate about fitness and wellness. So 
connected to the, the two dots, decided to make that jump, and I am so glad I did because I think there's also one thing that has always kind of been in the back of my mind is to follow your passion. You know, um, it's easy to feel that you need to you know, work a desk job, and I certainly felt that way in the beginning. Um, and I had a lot of fear jumping into the fitness industry, especially jumping in fin the fitness industry when it wasn't really, you know, it was quite, um, it wasn't a mature, it's not a mature market in Singapore mm. as compared to the way it is in the U.S. Um, it's definitely maturing and it's growing mm -hmm. all the time, but, and people can see that now, but before when I jumped in, it really wasn't an industry that, you know. It was very fresh. It was young, very yeah. fresh, very young. People thought I was kind of, yeah, especially my. I think that's the same for a lot of industries here. Like the music industry, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, exactly. There's so much growth to be mm -hmm. to be seen, right? And Singapore, after all, is quite a new country, right? So I think it was a risk, but I just decided. I looked at Guava Pass, and I had so much um, positive, such a positive experience in seeing all the different studios that was around around the region and in Singapore. I realized the type of people also in the industry, I just really enjoyed, I connected with the people in the industry. So I just realized, okay, this is this is what I, I want to do. I, and that's how, that's how it happened, basically following passion. Mm. And so you have your own company, The Happy Hue, which is basically a platform which focuses on the four pillars of your brain, the mind, the body, and the soul. Why did you decide to choose these four key areas as your focal point and how can you explain the interconnection between all four? Yeah, so I've always said that fitness and wellness or real wellness is really not just about the body or just eating. It's not one-sided, you know. And like I said before, the brain is our entire ability to experience life in the world. So I put that as my number one priority because I think you know, it's not something that people think about, especially when you're thinking about fitness or wellness. But what I've come to realize is, you know, how we control our arm is by the brain. How we um, process food is commanded by the brain. So the brain is really the command center. So that was really the foundation. Um, I saw that as the foundation to everything that we need to learn. Um, and in terms of advocating for real wellness, I felt that, that it was necessary that that was a important value and a pillar. Mm. And then the mind, obviously, because mind is what brings consciousness to our world. And without consciousness, we won't really have any experience of our world. And um, what I've been trying to bring into my classes is really mind-body connection. So it's not about exercising but thinking about something else or exercising <laughs> while you're on your phone yeah. you know or you know I, I, I've been in the fitness industry now since 2015 so and I've been teaching since 2017 um, you see it all the time in classes when people are kind of not focused yeah, you know you their minds exactly they're doing the exercises but you're not focused and it's really the it, it, it's really the biggest driver of difference in terms of optimizing your time in your exercises because at the end of the day when you're activating a muscle to move you need to bring conscious awareness to that muscle yeah. unless you've done it so many times that you know it becomes repetitive but even then the value is really come comes from connecting your mind to your body and that really fires up you know the the muscle fibers right at the end of the day it's really about a communication between your brain to the muscles. So that's why I brought mind as part of my pillar. And then body, of course, mm -hmm. because body you can, is our vessel to our totally. life. And our soul, I think soul is what makes us human. It's our empathetic side. And you always need that, you know, um, especially when it comes to the pursuit of wellness. You have to be empathetic, you know, like, 
my injury, I have to be empathetic to myself that it's not mm. going to be a perfect road. Um, so I think these four elements are really a necessary necessary pillars to bring what I find is real wellness. Um, I don't think they can exist separately. I think working on all four is what will bring us to a higher state of mm-hmm. ourselves. Yeah, like a higher state of consciousness. And I do think, you know, when we think about the soul and that facet, you know, of life, it's so hard to explain it in words, but, you know, when you, like, I'm not a good meditator at all. I find it really hard because I'm very type A personality and always, uh, growing up, I was always, like, in a rush to do things. I just wanted to, like, I saw life as the finish line. I was always, like, the sprinter, which is not at all how you should see life at all. But, um... So I, f- I still find it quite hard to meditate, but, you know, this week I've been doing it every day for 10 minutes. It's not long at all, but it's, it's quite long for me. And I have these, like, crazy kind of confronting moments where you just, your mind just, like, it wanders, but then you kind of, it's so weird. It's almost like it takes you back to certain memories and, and experiences that you've had in the past. Um, but it also... I can't even articulate it because it really does make things a lot clearer. It's almost like it's decluttering my mind from all the chat that's going on in the background noise. It's like when you're in a club and then you leave the club and your ears are still ringing, but then the next day you wake up and it's like it's clear. Well, (laughs) if you're not on a hangover, that is. But it's just, um, yeah, and obviously the soul is connected. You, You have all these different wellness practicalities and modalities to almost like feed the soul, right? And meditation is one of the most popular forms. And so I think it's just been, yeah, really amazing. And I would love to kind of dive a bit more deeper in how you, you know, I actually wanted to focus on the um, five kind of facets of wellness. So looking at sleep, training, nourishing, um, like from the the, uh, diet wise and food, um, recovery and stimulation. And when we look at recovery, I see that very much as, you know, replenishing the soul and doing things within the wellness space. What kind of things have you discovered recently and what's really stuck, you know? Like what really, really works for you that has been, you know, consistent in the past couple of years? So I would say, yeah, so those are my five actions, right? The happy here actions, I would call it. It's sleep, super important. And another book that I'm just going to throw out there, life-changing book. Um, Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. I thought you were going to say Matthew. He's honestly, like the sleep guy. He's like the sleep doctor. Honestly, that book, life-changing. That, that's good. That's actually what... Um, that is what convinced me to go on my no-alcohol journey here. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that is the book that um, really tipped me over to choose. I mean, I definitely won't need that for that reason. But, yeah. but um, yeah, so... Um, and, I mean, more than that, obviously... But just the explanation of how essential sleep is mm. to our vitality, basically, and to our everything. Cause, because usually sleep is something that people kind of cut short, right? And mm. I used to think, uh, you know, oh, okay, I didn't sleep enough that day, so I'm going to make it up during the weekend. Yeah, but definitely. one of the critical facts that he states in the book is that you can never make up sleep. So you need to get seven or eight hours of sleep every mm. night. Um, and there's so many more facts. Was it book. him who was saying, I'm, I'm assuming it's him because it was about sleep and he is the sleep doctor. But he says that, you know how we, we should always wake up at the same time every morning. And most people say they wake up at seven on weekdays and they wake up at 10 on the weekends. That has the same impact on your body as flying from New York to San Francisco. And he calls it social jet lag. And if you keep doing that over time, there's a really negative compound of interest. Yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah. yeah, that was quite fascinating. Yeah, because I, I mean, I, I had no idea how powerful sleep alone was. And it's these things that when you think about it, you're like, oh, yeah, I mean, sleep is in a cycle and it's a rhythmic thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so waking, so pe- you hear people who wake up without an alarm. Mm. And the reason that is possible is because they sleep at exactly the same time and they will wake up exactly the same time. So, that's like me. 
it has actually <laughs> become this. so because in lockdown was really my reset you know i think it's a lot of people um was given mm. the opportunity to reflect and yeah obviously lockdown you were at home mostly not doing your daily activity so i really regulated my sleep i slept around the same time around 10 i woke up at around 6 6 30 and it was amazing how regular it was and i had some of my best sleep you know during lockdown and i think it really goes to show how how much everything is connected in our lives actually um and yeah so it was amazing to experience that because obviously i i i, I thought i've had to wake up with an alarm all the time and now, because I continue that practice of sleeping around 10 o'clock every night, sometimes I go to 11, but, you know, it's within that hour, I will wake up around the same time with no alarm. And it's amazing. It's really an amazing feeling because when you wake up without an alarm, you don't wake up with that kind of time. You don't know which, you know, sleep you're woken up by if you're waking, waking up by alarm. Um, if you wake up naturally, you just feel a lot more refreshed. Um, and... Hey, maybe mm. it's a placebo, but you know what? I genuinely feel the difference, and um, I recommend anyone who's yeah. willing to try it to, yeah, find a consistent routine in the time that you sleep. I've actually gone the opposite. So last year, I read the Five AM Club. Have you read that? Yeah, no, I haven't. So it's by an author called Robin Sharma. Probably one of the most impactful books that I've ever read. It's interesting because it's technically non-fiction but it's written in the form of fiction. So there's a story throughout the whole you know, book which you really want to get to the end to. You want to try and understand where the characters, you know, how they end. But it's so informative and it talks about why you should wake up at 5 a.m. And it's just the most inspiring book I've ever, ever read. And it really did inspire me to wake up. I was waking up at 5 a.m. And then obviously COVID hit and the days were just so long for me that I, I was like, oh, I just don't want to wake up this early anymore. So I don't know. I feel like I need to get out of the house and come back in order to have that, you know, wake up early to do my morning routine and stuff. So, yeah, it's interesting. Honestly, I think uh, I, this is uh, just my opinion, but honestly, I think because sleep is actually um, regulated by the sun, right? Mm, so yeah. um, waking up when the sun comes out is mm -hmm. actually probably yeah I've heard in Singapore that's actually at 7 a.m. right <laughs> not my it's only at 7 a.m. yep the sun rises at around 7 because mm -hmm. I, I know because I usually have a class at about 6 30 and it's still dark so um the best time is actually when you just sink yourself to the sun mm -hmm. rising um that's what I think it actually was said in the book why we sleep but yeah um I lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah, but so, yeah, I think that's one of the best ways of setting, resetting your sleep schedule. Mm -hmm. And I think that was said in the book, Why We Sleep. Can you give some quick, quick practical tips on how to sleep earlier or wake up earlier? So sleep earlier or wake up earlier. So actually, it says, I remember in the book saying that not everybody has the same optimal sleep time. So it's like really finding, are you a more of a night owl or are you a morning person? That actually there's a factor in some people um, feeling more optimized during the morning or at night. So find, figure out what, what, what feels right for you. Um, there's no real ideal time, but what's important is the seven to eight hours a night. And what has been said multiple times, not just from the book, is staying away from your screens at least I find that so hard at least an hour before mm. super hard in our day and age I mean I have an Apple watch I have, <laughs> I have a screen around me you know um it's definitely it doesn't come naturally mm. but if you start integrating that into your discipline it really works wonders mm. so now I'm just going to share what I do yeah what I do now is an hour before, I put my phone away, no screens. So instead of, I used to, you You're know, so good. <laughs> I know, I used to watch a show or something or scroll through my phone an yeah. hour before my sleep. Look, it's not perfect, and I do that once in a while still. But what I find helpful is switching to reading. 
I'm reading a book, not a Kindle. So mm. I used to read off a of Kindle yeah. as well, but now I read off of just a real a book. book yeah. yeah, and it really has improved my sleep. And that that's something super simple that everyone can adopt, you mm. know? Um, not looking at any screens an hour before. Some people say keep it away from your room. Um, and then But most people have it for their alarms. I think the trick is to buy you know, those old school alarms. Yeah. And just put your phone in a different room. Exactly. You know? I think there's a lot to be said on our dependency on of, on our phones and look, I don't think smartphones is gonna disappear anytime soon. But I think we could create a healthier relationship with our phones and just be more aware. Totally. I mean You've seen the social dilemma, right? Of course. <laughs> of course. What are your thoughts on that? Social dilemma. I mean, it's such... Um, I, I honestly... I made my parents watch it with me. <laughs> I sat down. I sat them down. Made my parents watch it. Because I think the issue of phone addiction and the issue of um, our addiction to all these apps is not... Because what social dilemma was talking about is just the addiction through, you know, younger people, right? Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, yeah, mostly focusing on younger people or our generation or just slightly older, you know, of millennials. But the truth is I'm seeing a phone addiction through every age range, and I see it almost more prevalently at my parents' age. Mm. They're in their 60s, 70s, and it's almost like because they didn't grow up with, these that instant access to content, yeah, yeah, and instant access to content, they're also kind of not aware to the they addiction. They can't set the boundaries, yeah. right? They can't even My set the thing. Yeah, and I think we there's needs to be more conversation as well on mm-hmm. that phone addiction and app addiction is not just for the millennial generation. It's okay. really for everybody. Yeah, and the fu- the future generation. I'm so worried for my kids. Exactly. You know, and social dilemma really highlights, you know, the how these technologies were created with good intent. And yes, in a lot of ways, it has improved our lives. Um, in a lot of ways, there's a lot of positivity mm-hmm. through the connections. And you know, just a simple example would be um, people being lifted out of poverty because of these technologies, right? Like um, in Indonesia street sellers would sell their food through um, Instagram, let's say, or advertise their food through Instagram. And maybe before they were relying on just people who pass by. Mm -hmm. But because of social media and because of Facebook, they're able to access a wider network. Um, And so these are some of the positive effects. Mm -hmm. But then on the other side, what the, the documentary was shining a light on was that we're, you know, not seeing the... Or we're not, yeah, we're not seeing or having discussions about the problems that mm-hmm. it's shining on the world as well. And to kind of go out a bigger conversation that I think mm-hmm. is um, more prevalent is actually, you know, in the documentary it talks about that we came from an age of information into the age of disinformation. And we're certainly entering into a new realm in the world that is a little scary. Um, There's so much information, you don't know what's real, what's not, and that's what it was highlighting. I think what our responsibility now, I think, as as people of this planet, you know, is to really think critically about all the information that's coming to us. And this really includes, I want to tie it back to fitness and wellness Mm -hmm. there's so much information out there and even my for myself who is in the industry I'm overwhelmed by the amount of information that's coming at us whether it's from legitimate sources and whether it's from you know um, people who think they know or are experts and Mm -hmm. you know are sharing their knowledge we, I think as a society, our responsibility with all this technology and with all this information is really to just think critically. Mm-hmm. You know, totally. Just question. We always have this conversation, and this is why I 
I feel so passionate about, yeah, question everything. Like, okay, that's my mentality. And it kind of takes you back to, I mean, it was like this for me in history, history class and like critical thinking. You would always question the source. Where does the source come from? You know, who were the people who were feeding you the information? And it very much spills over into the wellness industry because you look at, I mean, if, even if you look at, say, doctors, say you feel, have a headache and you go to see a doctor, the doctor doesn't really look at things from a holistic point of view. They basically just prescribe you medicine or, or pills because it's going to make the you know the pharmaceutical companies richer. They have a vested interest, you know. Whereas when we look at wellness and this this includes food and, and fitness and you know there's these kind of like get skinny you know it's like the get rich schemes you know. Just make sure you're not getting sold into that. And there are so many you know, fitness influencers out there, or even wellness coaches, health coaches, really do your research before you start working with someone to see if they've really got the credibility, if they've done, you know, the courses before, you know, they don't just look good. Just because someone look, looks good does not mean that, you know, they have the qualifications to be able to teach you. And that's what's scary, because it's like, you don't know where to trust, you know, you have to really do your research. And it's pretty, it's pretty scary when you find out, um, what's going on in the, in the industry, in the food, in the um, new, you know, the wellness industry. Like, it's just mind-blowing. I mean, there's a couple of things that, uh, that's to be said about that. I, I think um, the reality is the diet industry and, you know, oh. all of that. It's a billion-dollar industry, mm. right? Pharmaceuticals, also a billion-dollar yeah. industry. So we're, look, we're seeing all these crossovers between wellness and health and you know, fitness, it's, it, it's kind of becoming, yeah, the holistic um, movement is definitely mm -hmm. more, uh, it's a lot stronger because people are kind of realizing, hey, look, like, it's not one-sided, right? It's not, it's not just to treat a disease, it's about prevention as well. Mm -hmm. So in the U.S., there's a huge movement of integrated medicine, um, and what, what it's talking about is basically looking at preventative ways of, um, yeah, prevent disease prevention versus just disease treatment and I would I also like to say that integrative medicine though is also kind of an approach that I feel is um, based on what um, Chinese medicine does right so in the Eastern philosophies in terms of um, approaching wellness it's not about especially Chinese traditional Chinese TCM or um, so I'm Indonesian right so um, and how we look at through herbal medicine is really looking at the person as a whole. Mm -hmm. So if you have an ailment, why do you have that ailment versus just saying, oh, you have this, so we're going to treat that. Mm -hmm. It's really looking at the person as a whole and treating it through natural remedies because yeah. at the end of the day, um, our, our, our body has the ability to heal itself and our body does have this capacity when you give it the right conditions, when you feed it the right things, that it, it knows what to do. I mean, through evolution, mm. we've evolved into this human being that mm -hmm. um, the version of us in 2020 is a lot more progressive than, you know, 50 years ago. So, um, and in terms of the wellness industry, it's the same, right? There's a progression of the knowledge that we've awoken to, I would say, because Previously, let's say in fitness, it was really segregated from nutrition or anything like that. But now that the research is there, there's so much research around all of this, um, all of these industries that now we have the responsibility to kind of investigate it further. Mm. Um, look at all these information. So don't just take everything. Yeah, like you said, um, just because someone looks good, you can't just... Um, take it for what they say is true, right? You want to investigate... You can't just buy their five ninety nine course and expect exactly. to, you know, look like them. Yeah, and, and at the end of the day, I mean, to bring it back to my brand, The Happy Hue, what I am really trying to advocate for is an understanding that wellness and health and fitness and is really about finding your approach to it. It's mm -hmm. a personal approach. It's because at the end of the day, we we all have very different bodies. You know? mm, yeah. So it's taking all this information that we're flooded with and 
critically analyzing what 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 is you know what is truth and what's factual, what's science based, mm-hmm. and then really taking it, dissecting it, and applying it to our own lives in what's realistic and yeah. what makes sense, because. At the end of the day, our, our, our bodies are all very different. We all have very different histories, very different heritage, very different access to, to the types of food in our region. So I think the strongest message here is just be more critical in our acceptance of knowledge, in our application of knowledge, and in our embrace of our approach to wellness and well-being. Just being critical alone is... Um, what makes us human as well and um you know and for me critical thinking is just part of part of who I am because that's really the study of philosophy is about the study of critical thinking so yeah and I I really find that that's really one of the most important things right Mm. now in our world is to critically approach everything that we're exposed to yeah I think I guess working in advertising as well you kind of see the (laughs) <laughs> the kind of the vested interest on the other side on the campaign side and you see how it influences people's emotions and behaviors you know maybe not for the greater good sometimes depending on the product or service that you're selling so yeah i totally agree and i think i was actually read. i've been telling everyone to read a new earth and I've, you know i've obviously told you and um i was reading a page today and he talks about how actually there's so much research and it's been proven now that your negative thoughts which kind of play out in emotions, like the story you tell in your mind, if it's a negative story, is physically, is correlated to your physical, like, wellness of your body. And Eckhart Tolle, he talks about the pain body and how we have, and it's, like, all connected to your energies and everything, and, you know, it's why people end up having, they get into depression and they actually physically get ill as well, not just mentally, but they are not separate. You know, they're not mutually exclusive. So that was really fascinating. So here's an interesting thing that I like to bring in. So from the book, The Emotional Life of Your Brain, it talks about one of the research where um, it's phantom limb, right? Phantom limb is the research where um, people have their limbs amputated, but when there's a mirror to... There's a mirror to reflect that limb. So, so your from your from that person's perspective, it looks like that they still have that limb, and they will stroke that hand. So the oh, I'm not describing it correctly, but basically, the mirror will reflect your other arm that's still attached to you, and if you stroke it, but you see it on the mirror, right? You right. see a reflection. You. F- your brain thinks it's it's feeling it on your other arm, which is amputated. So, I mean, Google the, wow. the phantom limb research. Um, but, yeah, in the book, in the emotional life of your brain, it's also, it also talks about how, basically, visualization is as mm. powerful as you experiencing, um, experiencing things itself. Mm. So I forgot exactly what the example was, but, you know, these things you think doesn't correlate, but our mind is so powerful. So it was one of the examples was um, I think it was playing the piano. A person can increase their brain's um, what do you call it in- engagement mm-hmm. just by visualizing playing the piano. It's the same as playing the piano as some so the same areas of the brain is activated right right if you visualize playing the piano and you playing the piano yeah so i mean that i mean that's to me when i read that it was just kind of mind-blowing yeah right? totally. the fact that your brain the same activation you know happens when you're yeah, playing totally. the piano and visualizing and this really brings me back to sports Actually, because I remember when I was in high school, when I was an athlete, I played touch rugby and I was on the school team. I remember my coach just telling me, you need to just visualize picking up the ball. Because one of the most important techniques in touch rugby is you picking up the ball quickly and 
being able to hold the ball, you know, and passing it. Mm. And and she just kept telling me, visualize, visualize it, visualize it. And I used to think, man, this this coach, what is she talking about visualizing? You know, I mean, I was, I was <laughs> yeah. like, I don't know, 15 or whatever. And I was like, what is, what is she talking about? And it all kind of came full circle for me when I when I read this book because I was like, oh my gosh, she was right. So the same activation in your brain can happen just from you visualizing the activity. And I think that's something really, really powerful because it really talks about also the power of negative thoughts and the power of mm, positive thoughts. Certainly. And so to bring it back to what you were saying about Eckhart Tolle, yeah, yeah. I haven't read that book, but you can borrow it after. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, and you know, to bring it back, it, it, it really is, you know, the mind-body connection is a real thing. Mm. It's something that science has proven already now through various research. Mm. Um, and it's now that we know this, now that we're aware to this information, and it's not woo-woo, it's fact-based, Yeah. there's so much potential that we can access just from this knowledge alone. So I think it's it's such an exciting time I think for for humanity in general in this field um, and I do see it more now really because when I grew up in sports and in fitness you never really thought I mean you kind of think about mindset as an athlete but you don't really think about it in the sense that we are aware to it now where, mm-hmm. where you know a lot of athletes now they have mind mindfulness training mm-hmm. You know, they have visualizations. All of this is part of the modern day athlete, mm-hmm. you know, part of the regimen. So I think there's a lot to be said about the mind body connection and so much more to learn. Yeah, I think, you know, when I am not, I wouldn't say a good one at all. I've never been able to do long distance. And over, um, I've only ever done like a 5K run. Um, and during COVID, I was like, I'm going to try and just test myself and try to challenge myself and get to a good pace in 5k and I managed to get to a time of 4.5 which I think is relatively decent for a non-runner but and then I, I didn't run for like two three weeks and I went back to like six minutes I was like you know it's crazy how and it is just the mind like my body's not really changed I guess you're training more so there's compounded growth through that but I do think it is it's crazy how how much your mindset is connected to, you know, your ability to push yourself, right? And, you know, another point that you were talking about, I just also want to say, though, okay, lifting real weights compared to (laughs) imagining lifting (laughs) real weights is going to make a real difference, Yeah, that's true. I'm just talking about activation. Yeah. Same parts of the brain was activated. Right, right. So, you know, the benefits differ. So I do, just want to clarify do you do that. Creative. <laughs> like tomorrow, I'm gonna be able to. I know. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna just imagine gonna myself lifting yeah, exactly. heavy weights. And but I I've recently been doing a lot of creative visualization. I don't know if you do that. Actually, you do because I remember we went to the art store and you bought that mood board. Can I share this? Oh yeah, like yeah, vision, yeah absolutely. You know, vision, vision boards. Board. Yeah, and I get now. Well, I don't have a physical vision board. Um, but I, I just use Pinterest. And do you know what's really weird? I've been really into just looking at interior design recently. And I keep having dreams of like inter- beautiful interior design settings. And it's just funny how it's like now it's in my, it's like ingrained in my subconscious that it's coming up through my dreams. Um, and so I think there is something to be said for creative visualization. And not just writing down your goals, but you know, what, what kind of lifestyle are you striving to be? Yeah, actually, the book, um, The Source by Dr. Taras Yeah, it talks about how powerful visualization is. And she, you know, she's a neuroscientist. Mm-hmm. Neuroscientist, yeah. Right, she is, right? She is an ex-doctor, I think, but then now she specializes in... Yeah, exactly. She's a, she was an ex-doctor. She's a lecturer and a business and a corporate coach. Mm-hmm. Um, she has the most amazing TED Talk. Yeah, exactly. And she's a lecturer at MIT. Um, So she says in her book, the reason why visualization is so powerful is it's not that visualization will suddenly, you know, 
magically in the woo sense manifest your dreams in, in mm-hmm. that kind of terminology yeah not in that um it's 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 not that it's passive but it's the fact that because you have a vision board or a visualization board then your brain is more aware or it more it's more aware to the opportunities that will take you to those visuals mm-hmm. or to that dream so it's more priming your your brain right, right. to opportunities that you already have a vision yes. for because okay. going back to what i said earlier how when you went to la <laughs> yeah right how how i couldn't imagine a career in fitness before I saw it. Mm-hmm. Once I saw it, then I could imagine. Yeah. Then I was more aware to the opportunities that were coming my way in Singapore, where I was like, oh, okay, that's that's an opportunity that I can jump on that will take me to my dream of becoming mm. a fitness instructor. And so it's not that, you know, it's it's a passive thing where you just have a vision board yeah, and your I dreams are just gonna happen suddenly. You know, hard work is. <laughs> Is That's like magic. Still, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hard work is still totally. a real thing. And it's just that because you have a vision of your future that you'd like to go towards, then your brain is more primed to see the opportunities mm-hmm. that will take you towards that dream. So it's really, you know, it makes sense that, that mm-hmm. when you, it's explained that way, it makes, totally, makes total sense. And I think that's why my pillars are brain, mind, body, soul, and brain is first because the brain is so powerful in that sense. And another book that I'm going to throw in there because it's, okay, this is one of my favorite authors, um, Michael Pollan, How to Change Your Mind. It I haven't a read that. powerful book about okay. the brain. Um, it talks a lot about the we can use add of... add all of the book titles to the show notes. Yeah, I mean, it talks a lot about the use of psychedelics, but that's the what's more insightful was what he talks about the learnings of the brain through his discovery, um, through his experimentation and mm-hmm. um, uncovering of the history and the research that's been done through psychedelics. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's really fascinating yeah. about the brain. I mean, I I honestly can't get enough of it (laughs) I honestly can't get enough of it because it's once you start learning or at least for me once I started learning more it's just limitless and it's absolutely incredible that this thing that's sitting in our in our head you know is so incredibly powerful it just keeps growing it's like you just keep feeding it in a way and you know what you were saying about um yeah the brain I've yeah I was was gonna say I've totally forgotten now (laughs) Um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. But I just wanted to ask, you know, obviously now, um, I think Europe have just gone back into lockdown, um, potentially. I don't think the states have, but people are still running on with we're calling it the the low down economy at the moment. And um, what kind of practical advice? If you can give three practical uh, pieces of advice for people to start doing tomorrow, um, to help towards to help benefit their physical and mental health what would that be be kind to yourself i think that's self-compassion that is honestly it's funny you say that because i had yeah i had this realization the other day i was like i am so hard on myself i'm expecting the same results during covid when yeah we're in the middle of this pandemic and i'm still expecting to you know be doing this and that but i can't i'm so restricted like physically yeah i think i think i think we live in a world now um, that's constant, especially if, sorry, if you're in a city, right? Especially if you're in a city, it's just mm. constantly move, 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 go, 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 yeah. right? And the, what the pandemic has taught us is, oh, we can slow down. And suddenly, you know, the world almost felt like it stopped for a moment. Um, and. I think because of this contrast of stopping, slowing down, and then go, 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 we tend to be really harsh in, on ourselves. Because even for me, I think I, I had I, I'm very critical of myself. I have that that spirit of um, insecurity, but also just judging myself yeah, and I'm really same. harsh, right? And I think that really stems from comparing, mm-hmm. because 
I think with the prevalence of social media, yeah, you get this false sense that everyone is doing so much more than you are. And maybe they are, and maybe there's people who are high achievers and they're doing so much more. But I think there's go there's a lot to be said about being kind to ourselves because mm-hmm. at the end of the day our experience is ours and being kind to ourselves doesn't mean to be lazy and it doesn't mean um, you know yeah to just let it go and you know hands up and <laughs> give up or on everything but it's really just to be kind on the reality that we are living in this pandemic is something that is totally out of yeah. Uh, you know out of our expectations it's something that none of us have ever gone through the last um history um, event in history was the spanish flu and you know so it's it's we just need to be kind to ourselves because this is something that we have none of us in this world has ever experienced so being kind goes so much more than you know just letting ourselves if you need a day to relax take it yeah right but actually i think the um being judgmental of yourself and the self critique is for me and i'm just speaking for myself here you know obviously comparison is a big thing but i think it goes much deeper than that because you know i grew up in i grew up in the uk but my parents are both from hong kong so they've kind of grown up grown up without really showing emotion or praise in a way and I always grew up as a kid always like that straight A student and I think I even remember saying to like one of my aunties when I was like 10 or 11 and I was saying how you know I love my parents but I just feel like they don't show they don't give me enough praise when it's due and so I, I feel like throughout my whole life I'm always kind of seeking for that praise or you know just that acknowledgement that you've done a good job kind of thing and that manifests into being a really, like, mean inner critic to myself and dialogue that I have with myself is really, you know, and it takes some time to be conscious about it. And COVID's been really tough for me because you're, like, you've got this pent-up energy to do stuff, but you can't go anywhere. And so it's been a, a big realisation for me to have self-compassion for myself and think, if I was talking to you as a friend, I wouldn't, I would no way ever speak to you like the way that I speak to myself. But it's just... It's crazy. So I think you've really hit the nail on the head there. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think we all, as human beings, struggle with some sort of insecurity and negative self-talk. Um, to be to be very honest, I think on my own journey, I was very extremely critical of myself um, to the point that it really pushed me into an eating disorder. Wow. So. That, that was a really big life moment for me where I had to take a step back and realize I'm being so critical that I'm actually damaging myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a serious process of realizing that I don't have to be so hard on myself. I don't have to have a perfect body. Um, I don't have to, you know, have a perfect routine. And... And I think for me, the biggest lesson of being kind to myself was through that, through that eating disorder, where um, I just, in that state, I couldn't, I didn't have the ability to be appreciative of my own body. I didn't have the ability to embrace myself because I think I was under the false pretense that everyone else is so perfect and everyone else is so much better that you think, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? And how can I, you know, why am I so pathetic in a sense, right? But but then you realize that this is this is the this is the lies that we tell ourselves yeah. because in reality everyone has some kind of struggle. There's no such thing as a perfect life. There's no such thing as a perfect road to whatever achievement you're going to you know, life is imperfect. Mm-hmm. That's that's part of the that's part of the the beauty of life itself is that it's an imperfect world and we have an imperfect life, so we go ups and downs. And I think accepting that is one of the most liberating things. And that actually brings me to my second tip, yeah. which would be especially through the pandemic. And this was something that because um, we're not in lockdown anymore in Singapore, but 
when I wasn't when we were in lockdown, I was telling myself, okay, focus on the things that I can control. I can't control the future. <laughs> I have no idea what's happening or what's about to happen or what's you know the new rules or whatever it is. So focus on the things that I can control. And I, I think that actually really also relates to what mindfulness really is. It's about living in the present. Living in the present is really on focusing on what's right in front of you and focusing on what we can control in the immediate sense. Because at the end of the day, I think um, we, we, I mean, I've said this before, but we had this life before in our world, before this pandemic, where we had this sense of control. We had this sense of being able to schedule things and predict the future in a way. But the reality is actually life was never predictable. We can only know the moment right now in this immediate second, but we can never know the next moment. We can never predict if, let's say I drop my glass or you know, or um, someone interrupts our podcast. You, you really can never know what the future holds. So through that, it's actually kind of a liberation of seeing what you can control is really this immediacy of right now and it has always been that way Mm -hmm. whether it was through this pandemic and before the pandemic our reality and our sense of reality is right now and that's it because everything else is the past and everything else outside of right now is either the future or the past and that's something we can't predict or control so that's my second tip yeah I, I guess just like not being weighed down by the burdens of your past and not worrying about the future and kind of like scenario planning and that's exactly. what living in the present is right and exactly. it's so hard to do and that's actually it's so hard to do yeah it's super hard 100 percent, because our brain is this machine that you know thinks about the future and the past and in a way it's a it's a time traveling thing right um but that's why i think why mindful meditation is so powerful as well as because it allows you to just be right here and acknowledge the reality for reality, you know. The only reality we can really experience is right now, basically. And what's your third Third tip? tip. Make sure you integrate play into your life, Um, especially through something like pandemic. We need to give ourselves that sense of play because it's just part of who we are as humans and you know I think I have the privilege of spending a lot of time with my little nieces and nephews and when you look at a child and you look at the world through their eyes it's it's really it's a really compelling way of existing because children are very in the moment Mm. (laughs) they're not worrying about yesterday they're not worrying about tomorrow Maybe they're thinking about school tomorrow or something, or, you know, the playground the next day or whatever, but it's really, they're really in the moment, and they're really expressing themselves in the moment as well. They're not, they're not maybe at a certain age, they're not aware of, you know, how, how they're influencing other people, and when you look at a way the child, the way children play, you realize that we have the same brain. That's how our brain at its natural um, state is. It's curious, it's very present, it's not worrying about the past, it's not worrying about the future. Mm. If you look at the ch- child play, it's it's just, it's, it's going back to our human ability of just discovering the world through our curiosity mm-hmm. and letting go of worry and letting go of um, responsibility in a way um, that and brings us back to our most core way of being, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and so I think those three things are really important. Being kind, focusing on what you can control, and finding time for play. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I think, um, yeah, the play factor is so important because... You know, you see on social media, everyone's like learning a new um, instrument, people are learning new languages, but also like, where is the play in all of this? You know, it's all about fun. So a couple of short questions to wrap up, you know, before we, yeah, before we finish the interview. Um, what is your personality type? 
which, um, do you remember the name, the EU, because I'm an ENFJ, oh my gosh, I forgot it, I just did it yesterday and I completely forgot it, we'll come back to that, I think, um, okay, so what's your, what's your morning routine? My morning routine, I wake up and I read my devotion and I do my meditation and then I will um, drink my juice, that's it. But I always have that quiet time. Um, I really, I, I do want to start meditating without an app because yeah. I'd like to, I'd like to be away from technology yeah, I agree. as my first thing, but I'm not, I find the guided meditations through the Headspace app really helpful. So, so I, I find that as is a crutch, you know, and unfortunately, um, I, I, I do look at my phone to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that's my morning routine and I think that's really important. Yeah. And I just remembered my, my uh, personality okay. is the mediator, so it's the INFPT. INFPT, yeah. Right, interesting. And that's within the. I think we're in the same. We're in the same category, because I'm a I'm a protagonist, which is in the blue category. We're like diplomats, I believe. Yeah, we're a lot of. Uh, well, it says that I'm very empathetic. Mm, that I'm really yeah. about feeling. My life is really around purpose, and it's yeah. super accurate, honestly. Yeah, it's scary. Yeah, for those who haven't done it, I've just done the Enneagram as well, which is also crazy accurate, and it basically describes the healthy version of you, like your best self, and the most unhealthy, your like toxic kind of, <laughs> you know, self-sabotaging self, which yeah. is quite interesting. So last question, one piece of advice you'd give to the future generation? I've already kind of said it actually, which is, I just hope that the future generation will think critically about their approach to life and not freely adopt things that they see as the trends mm. Um, I think trends have a place, but free adoption without critical thought is not the trajectory forward, I hope. Mm. Well, that really sums up everything that we've talked about today. Thanks so much for being on the show, Tasha. And thanks, and so, thanks much so much for, for being, having me. Thanks so much for being vulnerable and you know, sharing your story. And Yeah, I think um, this has been one of the most interesting conversations I've had on the podcast. I'm really excited to put it out um, and you know it's been great advice practical advice as well um, for those listening at home we will put all the details in the show notes all the books that you've recommended <laughs> the many many books um, if you're looking for more inspiration there's a, there's tons of other stories and interviews resources please just head to anotherstartupstory.com and you can find us on Instagram at anotherstartupstory and you can find Tasha at the happy you or www.thehappyhue.com. <laughs> Great. And obviously this podcast is growing through word of mouth, so please do continue to share it with your friends or anyone you think might find it useful. It would mean a lot to me if you could enjoy and leave a review too for us to help to continue to join our and grow our community. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you.